Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Brian Cooper. Brian has was most recently the vice president of digital data and demand teams at Juniper Networks. He has served on the board of directors for the Advertising Research Foundation and the Marketing Science Institute. Brian is a frequent publisher, including an article titled Don't Buy the Wrong Marketing Technology in the Harvard Business Review and a book titled Custom Surveys Within Your Budget. Prior to Juniper, Brian served on the senior leadership team at Realty Mind, where he built a U.S. West Coast presence for the company. Before joining uh, Reality Mine, he was the SVP for the customer, employee, and reputation practice for the Western region, where he was responsible for designing and overseeing research programs, maintaining client relationships, and managing a team of account executives, research managers, and project managers. Brian, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Thank you so much, Brandy. I am so excited to have you today. I read your article in HBR and just knew we had to have a chat here on the couch. But before we jump into that, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword <laughs> banishment. So tell me what buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? Oh, I'd say it's a phrase, but it's MarTech drives growth. Ah, that one is an interesting, um, I, I know the fundamentals of it, but why don't you like that phrase? I think a lot of people get hung up on the shiny new objects and think that if I just get this piece of technology implemented in the organization, we're going to see an uplift in pipeline creation or conversions or stickiness on our website. When the reality to it is there's, just, there's so much more complexity in an enterprise organization to be able to see improvements like that in your business. Yeah, I actually prefer the phrase MarTech enables growth because it is yes. more of like the strategy and things that you wanna do that leads to the growth and you do that through the technology. Because well, yeah, so I agree with you holistically. People do think that buying a shiny new, you know, a piece of technology is going to solve all their problems. And that's just not the way that it works. <laughs> definitely. Well said. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely leverage your phrase moving forward. I like that. Enable. Uh, I was going to say, you are welcome to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I use that one a lot because, you know, people do have those unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's a great phrase and it ties to our topic today. So I will say now that we've gotten that off our chest, Tell our guests what brings you to Revenue Rehab. It's the it's a marketing technology landscape and the complexity behind it. Uh, so when we pu we published the article in two, July 2021, and I think in the article we said that there was over 9,000 different marketing technology products. And now today I just looked it up was 
over 11,000 MarTech products available to all of us, um, according to chiefmartech.com. Uh, and so like as MarTech or RevTech experts, we're inundated and influenced in so many different ways. It makes it really challenging for us. I can't count how many LinkedIn connections I get on a daily basis for some vendor trying to offer me a new a new offering. Or what also really happens now too is, is vendors will come when they're, when they're soliciting us and they say, um, uh, here's a new unmet need that I bet you didn't even know you had. And so they're creating this, these new environments or products that, that are trying to address needs and it, it gets just difficult for us to, to figure out how to fit it in. I think we're caught up in everything like around everyone else bought it, so I need to get it too. My boss said I need to check out this particular tool. Um, our company has a big relationship with this vendor and we need to reciprocate our purchases. Um, the other thing that we get, so we talked about the shiny new objects earlier. Um, the other thing that we get is, is the data from this tool is going to help us tremendously. Like what it's going to do for our inside sales organization is going to, it's going to lift their conversion rates as an example. And we call that data hoarding. And so when we have these things like shiny new object syndrome or data hoarding, these are complex. These are real complexities that make building a MarTech stack or an effective one really challenging for us. Uh, and it leads to problems in the end where you overspend and underuse a particular product and um, it causes friction within the organization. Uh, so this is all about trying to solve, uh, solve how we build a great MarTech stack. I love that. And I was just reading an article, you know, every year, this time of year, uh, we start to see all of the articles about where is spend going to be in the next year and who's increasing on what and decreasing on what. And, you know, the trend is showing that spend on MarTech um, is decreasing. Uh, you know, last I've seen, you know, and there's different studies that show different data. It doesn't seem to be a huge decline, but there is a decline. And so it, this is a very timely topic uh, mm -hmm. in terms of this is something that I think lots of our listeners and heads of marketing are faced with in, you know, how do we cut tools? You know, what do we buy? Do we just not buy anything? All those sorts of things. Um, and so before we dive into that, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus. It gives us purpose. And most important, it gives our audience an understanding of what they should expect from our discussion. And so what's your best intention? What would you like people to take away from the discussion? I'd like people to walk away with a framework that enables everyone uh, to build or redesign or construct the right MarTech stack for themselves. The simple framework that we have, um, which we'll get into. Okay, perfect. Um, so let's start with talking about some of the challenges uh, in the how do we got here or get here. And I know I follow the you know Martech, what used to be the Martech five thousand. You know, I follow that graphic every year, and it used to be that you could clearly see every you know logo with the naked eye without zooming and. Now it looks like, you know, a map of Europe. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that one of the problems that I'd like to hear your take on is the fact that there are all these new things. There's all the new categories. And, and, and so a lot of heads of marketing really struggle with what do I need in order to be effective or to enable that growth? And so they get into that overpurchase, and so I'd love to hear you dig in more on why that happens, um, 
because sure. I know you see it and you hit on some of that earlier. So I'd like to go a little deeper there. Yeah. So, so why, why did, why does a poor MarTech stack uh, eventually come into place? Um, I think that there's, so there's in the article that we wrote, there's two primary principles. There's the shiny new object syndrome and data hoarding. Uh, shiny new object can manifest itself in a few different ways. Um, think about a large enterprise organization that has field marketing distributed throughout the world. In one market, you might say, hey, this ABM technology is good for us. And then in another market, say in the US, you say, actually, this ABM technology is better for us. When in reality, the two ABM technologies are 80% the same, but people want to customize them. It compounds costs in that sense across the board. So you're not only paying for the out-of-pocket costs, you're paying for probably for some services costs. You probably have opportunity costs in terms of people having to support those in multiple places. Um, you have switching. Well, if you if you ever consolidate or if you've then expanded, you maybe there's potential switching costs that exist there too. Um, and so you have as as some decisions are made in a distributed fashion, um, that that's one of the reasons that leads to complexity. So think about it from an org design perspective. Um, a lot of organizations do have larger organizations do have a martech specialist who looks after the martech stack and if i was to give anyone guidance just if you're big enough to handle that definitely do it um sometimes other organizations are relegated to uh it management and that's totally okay too as long as they can help you construct what's needed in terms of the overall system for the marketing organization so organizational construct um, watching out for the shiny new object syndrome, data hoarding. Um, the data hoarding element is, is everybody saying, hey, this is amazing data. I mean, everybody's been enraptured with intent data for so long, and we've gotten great use out of it in the past. There's no doubt about that. Um, but thing, vendors will come in and suggest that it's uh, this is going to change the game. And I'm sure that they have use cases in which it does. But the challenge with data in general is, is you, you actually got to do something with it. And so once you get the technique, as you're thinking about the technology, make sure you have that plan in place to figure out how you're going to use the technology, even as it comes to data. Is the data going to be, uh, what is data going to be used for? And how is it going to connect with other systems? Uh, a lot of people don't remember the ecosystem. That's another element too. Like all of these pieces of technologies have generally have APIs now and they requ they're required to connect with another piece of technology. Are you set up and ready to make that happen too? That's a part of the, that's part of the plan that needs to be in place. There's all these little nuances that can just just create uh, frustration or challenges that aren't thought of a, thus a well thought out martech process is needed or methodology. Yeah, and that's one thing that we recommend often is when you're looking to purchase a piece of technology you got to have these conversations before you buy it. Like, what does it need to be integrated with? Can it be integrated, whether out of the box or, you know, an open API? What data can we get? Can that data be used outside of the system? Because I think that's a limitation that a lot of people find is there's this great data that exists within a technology, but it's set up in such a way that it can't be married to data from other systems and therefore it's less valuable. And then based on, you know, who needs to have access to the data, what are they going to do with it? And I think these are often conversations that aren't happening on the front end. 
and therefore aren't a part of the decision criteria when choosing tools. Have you seen that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think another you made me think of another thing that's adding complexity to all of this too, um, in terms of whether someone's evaluating things. Like a, another element about MarTech that's happening today is the choice between single stack and best of breed. And finally, after I remember when um, Oracle came in and said they had a single stack in 2016, and finally now they, you know, there's Oracle, there's Salesforce, and there's Adobe pretty much. They've got the MarTech suite for the most part. And what's happening now as it relates to data integrations within these single stacks is they don't always want to play nicely together as you get beyond like the web platform or the marketing automation platform or the Salesforce or the CRM Salesforce platform, the CRM. Um, as you get down further into say the CDPs, these CDPs don't like to talk with each other. You've got to plan that out and be ready for that, that outcome, depending on the decisions that you want to make. Yeah, and also with the history of various acquisitions from some of those larger companies, mm -hmm. in many cases, like data from one versus another actually play better. You know, I think about Oracle and Salesforce, like when before Oracle owned it, like with Eloqua, the marketing automation platform, mm -hmm. it was built to integrate with Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And so it the data flows better and that integration is more seamless then mm -hmm. Salesforce has now with its own marketing technology platforms. But of course, they don't tout that and people don't think about it. And so there is that mentality for, or there was for a long time that if we buy within this one, you know, vendor, that everything is going to work, you know, seamlessly together. Mm -hmm. And the fact is most of these large entities have grown by acquisition and don't mm -hmm. always make the effort to, you know, reverse engineer how these things are going to play well together. They just mm -hmm. say they do. Uh, <laughs> well, said. Um, well said. So another thing that I, I you said that I want to go back to is you talked about people making technology decisions based on previous relationships or existing relationships with other areas of the business or even popularity. And I think a lot of times, at least what I see is that happens quite often when there's influence from various teams outside of marketing. So the evaluation is not just about marketing's needs. Um, what have you seen in, in terms of like how people are getting into that trap of making decisions based on relationships or what's popular? Um, I think on, on, on the relationships, there's a few different angles to that. Um, if, if you work for a large enterprise organization and you're buying from an Oracle, an Adobe, a Salesforce or something, there's an expectation around reciprocation. And so sometimes you'll get top-down pressure. Almost everyone needs a marketing automation system. Now that top-down pressure might force you to use the marketing automation system that you didn't prefer. So be it. Like I, I think as long as it fits, you know, marketing automation, that's almost universal, but there are other ancillary um, tools that come in and now these single stack providers actually do have uh, as long as it fits within the construct of what you're trying to develop your system no issue with that but you do have to deal with that that kind of relationship i think others you know especially like if you're in uh, if you're in the technology space there's all sorts of investor relationships and push that start to happen from from that angle i do think the the shiny new object around like hey everybody's using it um, that's a problem too, right? The everybody's using it. I got to jump after it. And so, um, 
you just got to take a step back and say like, what need am I trying to solve before you actually go after and do it? Things are real. I mean, this, Hey, they're all marketers too. They're trying to, to make sure they're peddling their products and getting us to adopt them. And if they've got everybody talking about it, that's a good thing for them. Um, but as a user of it, just take a step back and use the process that we'll discuss and, and understand the, the needs that you guys have within your own business. Um, well, that's a perfect segue into talking about the framework because I always like to sort of, you know, set the stage around like what is like what's wrong, like what's not working. Mm -hmm. So now talk about your framework, um, because I really, you know, love the approach to making better choices with marketing technology and you know helping to not buy the wrong things. Absolutely. So. Remember, if it's, it's easy to remember, it's the 3D framework. So deconstruct, decompose, and design. And so the idea behind it is, um, is to take these three elements and, and build a plan around these three elements. What does deconstruct mean? Deconstruct means uh, deconstruct the buyer's journey. Everybody can define their buyer's journey however you want. So awareness, consideration, preference, purchase, awareness, interest, decide, engage, um, whatever you want on your funnel. And basically you put those at the top of the columns in an Excel table, for, if, you, if you like. Um, and so let's just say awareness, consideration, preference, and purchase. That's the deconstruct. The decompose is what are the major tactics that you try to use at your organization in order to drive someone through the buyer's journey? And so you might have something like uh, our major tactics are uh, call it marketing emails or um, a, a Salesforce uh, tracking or a CRM tracking system or some sort of customer advocacy or customer engagement system. Those are very big blocks of things that you need. Then now you've created a table. Now you start designing and within each one of those cells, you start to put in what technologies will solve that portion of the buyer's journey. So you've got the customer or prospect in mind and associated with the major tactic that your business is trying to drive in. So then you can start filling in the classes of technology. Once you get the classes of technology, it's up to you from a procurement perspective, like who you want to evaluate and all of that good stuff. Um, but one of the important steps in the design is not just to make sure that you put the technologies in there, but is to make sure that it's connected appropriately for what you need within that overall framework from a data perspective, from an API perspective. Um, and so just making sure it's connected. So it's pretty simple. 3D, deconstruct, decompose, and design. Yes. And I always love the, you know, the repeating letters. It makes it really easy to remember. And so I want to talk about deconstruct a little bit um, because, you know, as I thought about it, to me, like that is... Uh, kind of the what I felt was the harder part. So we all know our journey. And so that's kind of the easy piece. But like really a lot of times when I talk to people, they'll say like, oh, well, we just use all these things across the whole journey. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's certain small things that, you know, it's like if it's an auto dialer, like, you know where that sits, like that's one kind of piece. Mm -hmm. um, but like a lot of people really struggle to sort of think about their journey in mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. um, and so talk a bit more, you know, about that thought process and how, you know, if I'm a head of marketing and I'm trying to engage my team to start to deconstruct what that journey looks like, help me understand like how I really do that. So 
the, de the deconstruct phase um, is to really think about how customers or prospects engage with your major tactics at that particular buyer's journey. Um, and so, and you use it really in, in tandem, deconstruct and decompose. So once you've just, it's just a matter of just simply putting the buyer's journey out there. But what happens is you're going through the process. So you've got those two axes built. You start saying, um, hey, how does marketing automation affect the deconstruct or the buyer's journey element? And marketing automation would generally be like an awareness consideration. You may or may, you may or may not stop at say like purchase or pre preference. You probably keep going, but at purchase, you probably stop purchase. And if you have something like engage after that might go into some sort of like customer retention or customer experience tool, like Totango or Gainsight. And so at that point you say, Hey, the marketing automation tool is pretty big. Like it's going to hit a big part of the buyer's journey. But something like Totango Gainsight from a customer engagement tool um, will actually take off at a, a different part of the buyer's journey. You can get into specific things like um, like uh, event autom or I say like event registration, right? The event registration, it, it, you might only get it up at the, if, especially if it's like a trade show, you might only say, hey, this is an awareness building kind of thing. So I'm only going to put that there. And that's meant to designate some sort of value for you too, right? Like it, sometimes these technologies like a CRM are going to go all the way across, um, but sometimes they're just plugged in a specific box or cell. Okay. Yeah. And that was what I was looking for. That was how I interpreted it. Um, but I know sometimes it's hard to, to think about it that way. And then in the design phase, do you make any considerations? Like we talked a lot about data. Um, in planning this out and designing, do you put data in that conversation when you're thinking about it? Or are you looking more at just functionality and category of technology? Like how much, um, how granular do you recommend going on that design phase? I'm a little biased because I have a data background. Um, that's what I've spent a lot of my career doing. I think it's a necessity for two reasons. One is just because inherent to all technology platforms is some sort of data that it's processing. And in MarTech, as you're working across the funnel, you've got to somehow sync it with other tools. So is the data able to be passed? Like if you have an event registration tool, is that data eventually able to be passed into a marketing automation platform into a CRM platform? Um, so that's one element of data. So you've got to be able to pass it. But then the other element of data is, is the insights associated with it. Some might have more or less insights. Simply that someone showed up to an event. Um, did they register for it? Did they show up to the event? Did they engage with you at the event? Those are like three things that uh, like an event tool can, can provide you. That kind of insight needs to go further downstream so you can see how it's affected things like pipeline creation. Um, yeah, and that that is, I think, the piece where, you know, again, people are not thinking, they're thinking more just, oh, I need this category of tool. Um, any gotchas in this process? Like any, you know, things that, you know, if you're going to, to try and go through this exercise, anything that you need to like have front and center, make sure that, you know, you, you don't make this mistake or anything, any other considerations that we haven't talked about as people try to leverage this framework? Um, 
I think I think going one of the things I mentioned a little bit earlier is is don't let a vendor create the need for you. Like when they come and do their sales pitch, they've practiced, they've rehearsed, they know what they're doing. Um, in in some cases, there's new industries being created all the time, like LLM as an example, um, which is defining new needs that we didn't know we had. Um, those are industry wide, but just be careful of the vendor pitches um, in terms of like how how much they're did they create a need for you that you didn't know existed already. You gotta watch out for that one. Yeah, and I have definitely seen lots of clients like fall victim to that. And then they get a tool and realize that it was overhyped in the sales process. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I would piggyback on your answer and also say, if you're going through an evaluation, ask the tough questions or well, specifics to your use cases, because sometimes that is how I think people get, you know, fall for the hype is, you know, there's all these shiny features that the, the vendor wants to talk about and, they may or may not be beneficial to you. And it may be, you know, blaring gaps in what you need that are in the fundamentals or some unique use case that's that's really, really important. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I was thinking there, um, there's also an element to this for, I've been talking about it from the client side and what to expect it, but there's also an element for the vendor side and what clients can expect. And how, how would I think about this if I was on the vendor side of the equation? equation? Um, and I would say, you know, there's an element of co consultative approaches too. So find the gap in your prospect's business and try to see how your product or solution meets their needs. Um, that would be quite helpful because it helps them, helps your customer or prospect pitch the product internally a little bit, a little bit better. Um, and it, then it aligns to this map or this framework. And then um, also to understand like the switching and opportunity costs. So it's not just about the out-of-pocket costs for these products. It's like there's, you might have to give up doing something else, which is your opportunity costs or the switching costs in terms of services, right? Services are a real big thing when it relates to CDPs, uh, marketing automation. When we go through those things, those things can take a year, which means a lot of services. Um, and so those are, I guess those are some things that I watch. I'd say, hey, vendors, watch out for this. And then also um, this is a, a gotcha on the, on the, prospect and customer side, I was thinking about it from the vendor side, which is don't tell me it only takes two weeks to set up the product. It never does. Not in a large enterprise organization. It always takes long, longer. So don't get on the customer prospect side. Don't get caught up in the time frame. Make sure you figure out what's actually real for your instance. It's all, it seems like it always takes longer uh, on the vendor side. Let, let's be realistic about how long it actually takes. Yeah, I've definitely seen that as well. Like certain things, it's like, oh yeah, you're up and running in a week. Well, how do you define up and running? Yes. Because there are some <laughs> platforms that literally, as soon as you create it, technically you could use it, but you know, not really. Um, so yeah, so I like that. And, and even thinking about it, it was, I, I like that you brought up from the vendor perspective, because we do have heads of marketing from mm -hmm. software companies that are listeners. And, you know, something I thought about when you were talking is, I don't know, and I've been a part of a lot of technology evaluations, like a lot of our clients will have us in that process to be kind of an objective third party in evaluating the, the tools. And a lot of vendors don't often ask what other technologies are in the stack. And so to your point in identifying where that need is, to me, that seems like a huge selling potential when you know what else is in the stack and how you play well 
or not um, with those things being able to say like, here's where we fit that you don't have uh, something there. So that's an additional idea um, that, you know, I don't see often. I think that's a great point. And I think that I, I would be willing to bet that at a certain size organization, certain size company, the marketing organizations are mature enough in which they either have some sort of Excel spreadsheet saying, here's the stack, or they have published a map um, online. That'd be the largest organizations where as a vendor, you can go and check those things out. And I think that goes into the point of also consultative selling, which is, okay, I understand what your pain is. Here's how ours will fit into your map and overall um, 3D design to make sure you have the right system. Yeah, no, I, you know, love the ideation. I'm like, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, there's this and that. Exactly. And those are <laughs> always, uh, those are my favorite guests when, you know, we can just kind of spitball ideas. Um, and so talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. And so in traditional therapy, the therapists give the client some homework, but here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. So I always like to ask for your one thing. Um, so if what you have said has resonated with our audience, what's the first step for them? Um, where do they start in you know, avoiding the hype and making better marketing technology decisions? I, I, I keep it really simple. I'd say uh, check out the article in Harvard Business Reviews, July 2021. Don't buy the wrong marketing tech. Review that if you like it and it makes sense. Just start leveraging it. Um, it's a simple framework. We've got a lot of good feedback from it. Uh, and that would be the one thing I'd recommend. Awesome. Well, we will make sure to link to the article. So wherever you are listening or watching this podcast, check the show notes and we will link to the Harvard uh, Harvard Business Review article because I do think that that's a great starting point. I think any sort of self-assessment or way that you can start to you know break these things down within your team is always a great place to start. And then you can develop a plan of where you go from there. Awesome. Um, well, Brian, I have enjoyed our discussion, but that's our time for today. But before we go, how can our audience stay connected with you? I would recommend connecting with me on LinkedIn. Uh, check, check me out, Brian Cooper on LinkedIn, and, uh, and you'll be able to find me. Let's connect and have a conversation. Awesome. Well, we will make sure to link to your LinkedIn as well. Um, and thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thank you, Brandy. And thanks everyone for joining us. I hope that you have enjoyed my discussion with Brian. I can't believe we're already at the end. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at revenuerehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.